0: Discover more resources and continue the conversation at Apologetics.org. And now, your host, the Research Professor of Bible and Theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next
1: Door, where today we are going to be diving into the farthest reaches of the universe and talking about dark energy a theoretical substance, a thing that is supposed to be driving the expansion of the universe, and not only expanding the universe, but accelerating that expansion. Somebody, Nick Shalna, is putting the pedal to the metal, they say, but oops, it may not be so true after all, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly right.
1: Yes. So uh, we're so thankful that you decided to tune in and join us for our broadcast podcast today, coming from Trinity College of Florida, which is... uh, I'm going to call it Florida's premier Bible college, uh, one of the most wonderful Bible colleges I've ever had the privilege to know and to teach here for these last three decades in the area of science apologetics. What's that?
0: I'd agree 100%. Oh, thank
1: you. Yes, it's a a wonderful place to, to hang out. And if you ever have a chance, if you're in the Northeast, Northwest, or Midwest, or anywhere, and if you want to get out of those chilly doldrums, okay, up there where you're braving the snows and the sub-zero freezing temperatures, you can always join us here in the Tampa Bay area. We're at the north end of Tampa Bay, and if you want to come down, just let us know ahead of time at apologetics.org, and our actual information at apologetics.org is the best way to contact us. That, again, is information, spell out the whole word, and then put at apologetics.org. And just let us know ahead of time, and we'll let you know when our classes on apologetics and science and the Bible are being taught. I'm teaching intelligent design and Darwinism. A course, Nick Sheldon, that you had just last year. Did you enjoy that?
0: Oh, I enjoyed every second of
1: it. Yeah, it was a it was a, an exciting time. We actually had Jonathan Wells join us uh, through a live uh, speakerphone call. That was amazing. So today, we're going to be uh, approaching this issue of the universe at large. We're going to bring Jesus Christ, uh, the King, the Redeemer of mankind, but also the ruler of the universe. Uh, from his uh, right hand of the Father, a uh, ruling platform, if you will, above space and time. And we're going to be talking about not only his creation of the universe, but how scientists have tried to come up with their own theory, not so much in contra- contrarian, uh, you know, attitudes or contradiction to the Bible, but just um, looking at the evidence And calling their shots, and now they seem to be revising some major theories. Uh, One theory, the theory of dark energy, is now tumbling headlong into a crisis. And so I'm going to entitle our episode here today, The Dark Energy Crisis. You know, many scientific theories have entered into crisis. There's actually a book called Evolution, A Theory in Crisis, authored originally in 84 and 85 uh, by Michael Denton. It actually came out in England first in '86. It came out here in the US. And that book, recently revised, is now entitled Evolution Still a Theory in Crisis. I think that's kind of cute. But uh, Michael Denton, not a believer in God at the point he wrote the book, uh, just took to task the Darwinian theory and said it doesn't square with the evidence that we find in every nook and cranny of biology. So now, this other theory that was developed, really in the 1990s, dark energy, is in crisis. And uh, Nick, we may be able to bring in a little bit of dark matter as well, but mm-hmm. we may we may have to handle that in a separate program. Yeah. So forward to that. Yeah, yeah, very good. So I'm going to be reading from my NET Bible. NET stands for New English Translation. It's a great modern translation, and I'm turning now to Acts chapter 17. This is where Paul came to Harvard University. Oh, wait a minute. Harvard University was not established to the 1600s. So how could he be speaking at Harvard? Well, the point here being that what Harvard or Yale or Princeton or MIT or Caltech, those leading universities of today are supposed to be concentrations of the best and the brightest thinkers, investigators, askers of questions, you know, which included philosophers, of course, but also, in even Paul's day, included people in in their speculations about the universe. And so, uh, there were two groups of philosophers that uh, were very, very prominent. They were uh, the predominant thinkers, and you might think of uh, them as theorists. They were theorizing about the universe and, and deities. And those groups were the Epicureans and the Stoics. So, as I explained in my philosophy class here, the Epicureans are sort of the prototypes of modern-day Neo-Darwinism or the the kind of chance hypothesis. Everything developed by pure chance. The gods, to, to the thinking of an Epicurean philosopher, the gods, if they existed, were just having their own little party in a separate um, walled-off uh, place just where they had their own existence that had nothing to do with us. We came together by just sheer random chance, and and therefore, uh, because there's no really relationship with, re- between us and a future day of reckoning, when you die, you cease to exist, and that is the parallel between Epicurean thought in Paul's day and modern atheist, agnostic, or Darwinian thought Almost today. Almost
0: sounds like a very lazy deism.
1: It is a lazy deism where the, where the god of deism has almost faded away. It's not even necessarily to, fine-tuned everything to, to, to irrelevance. And, of course, the difference is that, is that the, the Epicureans, there is a parallel there, but the Epicureans said um, gods had nothing to do with the origin of the universe. A deist at least maintains mm-hmm. God-engineered. The universe as this brilliantly um, put-together um, watch, if you will. So... What we're doing in Acts 17 is we're just coming right in after they have been saying, you know, what, are you, what is this new teaching? Um, you're bringing some surprising things to our ears in uh, Acts 17.20. And then in Acts 17.22, Paul launches. He's going to get to Christ quickly, but notice what he says. He speaks at the Areopagus, at this supremely uh, important and, and prized platform to present a new idea to the smartest, to the best and brightest there in Athens, Greece. Verse 22, So Paul stood before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For as I went around and observed closely your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship without knowing it, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone. From one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move about and exist as even some of your own poets have said, quote, for we too are his offspring. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. I've read through chapter 17 of Acts verse 28 And it's interesting that Paul, in beginning his presentation of the Christian worldview, his presentation that is going to culminate at Christ himself, he begins by reviewing the truth about creation. I think it's pretty significant, Nick.
0: No, I I think so too, and I think it's so interesting that Paul points out that God did these things so that people would seek him.
1: So that that God would seek him, yes. He's eager for a relationship. And he plotted, he almost planned down to the, to the excruciating, you know, micro-detail level of every nook and cranny of not just creation, but history. He's talking about even how the set times and fixed limits of places where they would live, that's geopolitics. That's the evolution of modern geography and where the borders and boundaries are. So even geopolitics, you know, political, geopolitical history is part of his plan for bringing people into that spot where they could hear and understand and respond to the good news of grace of good of simple faith and trust in God brings back us from the brink of 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 doom the brink of judgment well he's going to get to the issue of judgment because the epicurean said over and over there are no you know reckonings there is no reckoning for humankind so let's pick up the argument of Paul, we're just about three three verses from the end of this very short summary of the speech that Luke provides. Okay. So Acts seventeen twenty-nine. So since we are God's offspring, we should not think the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human skill and imagination. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, having provided proof to all by raising him from the dead. And all I can say is, wow. "Wow." And I know that may not be articulate to say, wow, but you know, I tell my students in my classes, you, I think you've maybe heard me say this, that when you don't know what to say, and you're struck by something either in the Bible or a book you're reading, just put a wow in the margin. Yeah. So I, I'm going to put a wow in the in my margin of Acts 17. So now uh, I know that we haven't gotten into the crisis of dark energy. We're going to head there for just two seconds after t- just a two-second um, summary of what we have seen here in Acts 17. Paul has put together for the intelligentsia of his day a, a, a an incredibly... Um, focused like a laser beam, essence of the Christian faith, grounding it on the fact of creation, but then leading to moral accountability. And when he said Jesus is raised from the dead, and God has given evidence, I mean that's one of the most powerful moments in the entire Bible. God has has downloaded, he's dumped a trailer full of evidence in front of us. And Paul, I'm sure, uh, you know, right next door to this was Corinth. And when he went to Corinth, what did he do? He gave that famous summary statement that we find in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus was seen by a whole, you know, complex, you know, 40-day uh, structure of Historical evidence that includes encounters by single individuals, by groups of three or five or ten, and then by a whole mass of 500 people at once. There is plentiful, there is overabundant eyewitness evidence of Jesus being raised from the dead. And Paul had probably been going over that evidence. Why? Because when they pulled him up to the Areopagus, they said, You're always talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And and these are, what, two deities? And he said, no, they're not two deities. I'm I'm talking about Jesus who was raised. And there's a coming resurrection of the dead for accountability. So the Bible is very strong in the doctrine of creation, not just in Genesis, but here in Acts 17. Oh, by the way, John chapter 1 is powerful. Jesus, the Logos, is the one who created everything. Oh, that's right, Colossians chapter 1 identifies Jesus as the one who uh, not only is the head of the church, but he is the one for whom and by whom the entire cosmos was created. Oh, that's right. I think Hebrews 1 says something about this, doesn't it too, Nick? I think we're on a roll. Yeah. Isaiah chapters 40 through 46, just go through those six, uh, seven chapters, Isaiah 40 and then 41 through 46. They're just draped. They're just drenched with, with uh, passages that exalt Yahweh as the one who created the universe from nothing and stretched it out. Now, that stretching out of the, of the universe, which is described over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, even Zechariah 12, one of the great prophecies, one of the great prophetic discourses of the entire Bible, is launched with a reminder that God is the one who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundation of the earth, and who created the spirit of man within him. And then it gives the prophecy. Well, that stretching of the universe is what we're dealing with in dark energy. Now, dark energy, the idea of dark energy is really significant. If you if you look at the stuff of the universe as a pie chart, okay, the stuff of the universe as a pie chart. Well, in a pie chart, you have like this slab or this sliver. And, you know, like if you do a pie chart of the religious inclinations of the U.S. right now, I think it's what? Uh, 60 70% say they're Christian, and it's then like and that. then, yeah, something like that. And then you have this growing segment, it used to be 5%, I think it's up to 20%, which is uh, none of the above you know, either atheist, agnostic, mm-hmm. or no religion. The nuns, they call it. Okay, so now let's switch our pie chart to represent not the makeup of, of U.S. population in terms of religious views, but the actual makeup of the universe. What is the it? stuff of the universe? Take an inventory of every atom of every of every photon, you know every bit of energy flying here It'd going take a little while it would take a while to tally up everything yes i and i've I've seen some inventories that would be quite some <laughs> inventory okay but but according to the new dark energy view, which really was developed in the late 1990s to explain the weird discovery that distant quasars these are strange Really, really big and really, really powerful objects out at the fringe of the universe. Instead of just stretching out at a very high rate of speed, eighty percent of the speed of light or more, those quasars were actually accelerating. It's like it's like if they were a car, somebody was putting the pedal to the metal. You've heard that phrase before, yeah. Yeah. So the acceleration uh, phenomenon was a shocker, and they said, "Well, that can't be true." So they went back and they checked it again. They looked at more quasars. No these new instruments that were coming online in the 1990s were just showing these extended, uh, bizarre acceleration phenomena out at the fringes of the universe. Not so much in closer, but the further out you looked, the more the universe was not just expanding, the expansion was accelerating. And they are saying, oh my goodness, what do we have? And then they brought in a factor called dark energy, which is similar to Einstein's fudge factor called the cosmological constant, which he admitted at one point that it was the biggest mistake of his life. (laughs) I I think that's so funny. That which Einstein said, the worst mistake of my life has now been brought back into science, right? (laughs) His fudge factor is back. I'm Uh back. Okay, so um, basically the cosmological constant, or, or lambda, is sometimes referred to. Anyway. Uh, is is part of the equation, part of the interesting uh, complexity of this situation. But I'll just bring in that the idea for the last 20 years, let's say from 1999 to now, the beginning of 2019, if you went to a class and studied astronomy or astrophysics or cosmology at any university or any college, they would say, okay, the best scientific data shows that 70% of the universe is dark energy. Look at that! You see my pie chart. Mm-hmm. See the mm-hmm. green segment? Yeah. Se- Actually, it's over Seventy-three percent is dark 73%. energy. Now we haven't even gotten to dark matter. I think we're going to have to deal with that separately. Maybe next week. Yeah. We'll have the dark ma- dark oh, matter cri- crisis, crisis number two, or something like that. But let's just talk about dark energy. This theory was celebrated. Uh, two of the founders received Nobel Prize uh, prizes uh, just in the last, I think, two or three years. And so now all of a sudden after you know shouting from the rooftops to every student that 73% of the universe is this mysterious vacuum energy that is like a it's like a an anti-gravity phenomenon arises from it isn't that weird
0: Oh absolutely
1: okay so dark energy in a headline I have from my favorite uh, creation evolution go-to um web platform to study this this news the news of flowing in from every uh, corner of the scientific world uh is the the title says it's over dark energy was fake science okay uh my friend um dave coppage at krev.info says this i think this is really amazing it's being called the worst theoretical prediction in the history of physics. Dark energy mm-hmm. and its cousin, dark matter, are not showing up in any empirical tests. Let me repeat that. Dark energy and its cousin, dark matter, and again, we haven't had a chance to get into that, but we will, we'll get there, are not showing up in any empirical tests. This is big, says David Coppage. Secular cosmologists have been teaching... For nearly two decades, the dark energy makes up a nearly 70% of the universe. Dark matter, another 28% of the universe, leaving only 4 or 5% as normal matter. So, let me stop here and say, what that means is all the matter you see around you, whether you're in a car or at home or out on a beach or in a mountain pass, everything you see that you can detect with your vision, of course, the air we can't see, but it's there, but everything is solid, and all the suns and all the you know stars and all the galaxies and all the nebula that you can actually take a picture of all of that stuff is only about 4 maybe a little bit over 4% of the universe mm-hmm. the rest of it it's invisible <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it's interesting that it's described as doing the job that Scripture tells us God does—holds Ex- the universe. Exactly. Just like Doronism, yeah. There's no in this
1: case, it's doing the the expansion, yeah. whereas God said, "I, I, uh, I, um, opened up the universe. I spread it out." That's the phrase that's used. It's translated normally. Uh, the, the Hebrew words are translated "spread out," uh, like a tent to dwell in. Now, let me just go in uh, some of these quotes. Um, the science guys uh, were saying this uh, mysterious unknown stuff just had to be real. Now, now, they are reluctantly coming to realize it never, at least possibly, never was real at all. Though some people are still hanging on, you know, kind of for, oh, dear, of for dear life. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read some headlines just to give you a sense of how momentous this is. Okay. First headline. All right. Are you ready? The Worst Theoretical Prediction in the History of Physics. You like that? (laughs) (laughs) Let me repeat that. The Worst Theoretical Prediction in the History of Physics. What an honor. (laughs) And that was published actually by Real Clear Science. Um, And it was uh, republished later by Live Science. Ross Pomeroy is the author, if you want to look it up. Uh, P-O-M, as in Mary, E-R-O-Y, Ross Pomeroy. And he quotes our favorite um, atheist astronomer who's always attacking intelligent design. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think you've seen him on TV. I've
0: actually seen him narrate in Washington, D.C., an entire uh, video about this at the Air and Space Museum. Wow. And my thought is why, of all things of science to learn, why are we putting a giant thing about dark energy and dark matter as the only video playing in this
1: That's crazy. That doesn't make make any sense. sense. It's it's so so weak in terms of empirical support. Anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson admits, yes, we're clueless. I think we should have somebody embroider that, you know, (laughs) cross-stitch that and put that on the wall of every science, every cosmology lab. Okay, here's another headline. Are you ready for this? How crashing neutron stars killed off some of our best ideas about what dark energy is. Those dang, you know, doggone <laughs> crashing new, neutron stars. Why do they have to come ruin our party? Oh, no. Yeah. So the author of that is uh, Thomas Kitching, and he's writing at a very important blog called The Conversation. Uh, and the celebrations about the detection of gravitational waves that happened what about two years ago assumed to was to uh, to have come from the collision of two neutron stars. Kitching reports the contrary to their theory. Light arrive virtually simultaneously, and this kills off a major model for what dark energy might be. And I got to read this. This is the actual quote from um, the the article that Kitching put together at the conversation. And we got just about a minute left, so let me read this quickly. Cosmology is in a bit of a pickle. You like that? Cosmology is in a bit of a pickle. We have a great model that can explain the evolution of the universe from a fraction of a second after the Big Bang until approximately now, approximately 14 billion years later. The problem is that in order to explain all the observations, a mysterious energy called dark energy must be added to the models. Dark energy is a huge problem. It accounts for about 70% of all the energy of the universe, and we have absolutely no idea what it is, says... Again, Thomas Kitching in his write-up in Conversation. Here's another one, and I'll just close with this one. Stark Study finds dark matter and dark energy may not exist. Here's what to make of it. That also was published in uh, the blog The Conversation, and the author there is a gentleman, Kevin Pimblet. And so we're, uh, as we've been saying, we're looking at uh, the possible, at least, the potential or possible wreckage of a mateminal theory that is collapsing in front of it. Now, what are we to make of this? I think the key lesson, the takeaway, is that God has told us all along, and that doesn't mean that science should not be used. Science should be used. But God has given us in Acts 17 and all through the Bible, the key truth is that God created this universe, and he created it for purpose, for you and for me, to love him and know him. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be covering dark matter next week. The Crisis of Dark Matter is part two. Join us for that uh, upcoming broadcast here and podcast on The Universe
0: Next Door.